Hello and welcome to the Friday, December 6, 2019 edition of the Sands and its Storm Center's Stormcast. My name is Johannes Ulrich and today I'm recording from San Francisco, California. OpenBSD has always had a reputation for very good security controls and thorough reviews of its features, often foregoing some more advanced features for enhanced security. It's therefore somewhat surprising to find a fairly easy authentication bypass in OpenBSD. The problem here is how usernames and passwords or authentication credentials more generically are being validated. This is done using login underscore style and the username is passed as a command line argument but not properly escape, meaning that if a username starts with dash s challenge, this is actually interpreted as a command line parameter for login underscore style and can be used to bypass the login username and password check. This can be trivially exploited against a number of uh, different demons on OpenBSD, SMTPD, LDAP, the RADIUSD, as well as SSHD, which is probably the most critical here. Also SU, which then can lead to approach escalation, can be exploited using this trick. This vulnerability was made public by Qualys, and well, since it's so trivial really to exploit, proof of concept exploit have been made available by Qualys. Qualys also found three other privilege escalation vulnerabilities in OpenBSD that have also been made public. Qualys has reported these vulnerabilities to the OpenBSD team and within 40 hours of reporting the vulnerability, OpenBSD has released an update addressing these issues. And we also got an interesting vulnerability affecting several Linux and BSD distributions that would allow an attacker to learn some information about a VPN connection terminated at that particular system. Now, in order to exploit this vulnerability, the attacker has to be located within the same network as the victim. So, for example, I'm here at a hotel connected to the hotel Wi-Fi network as long as someone for example is able to use the access point or able to send packets from other systems connect to the same access point to me I may have this issue. The problem here is really how some of these Unix based operating systems filter traffic the VPN will assign you an IP address, but typically systems will accept traffic to that IP address from any interface on the system, including the Wi-Fi interface. So an attacker could just essentially try to ping addresses within likely ranges used by the VPN if they are getting a response to a synac, which would be a reset, then they know that this particular IP address is used by the victim. Next, they can then spoof packets from 
host that the system is likely connected to to again this particular VPN IP address and based on responses they know if a host is for example connected to a particular web server. By observing response packets uh, that are encrypted, it's still possible then to derive some information about the content being transmitted, like how many bytes, sequence numbers, and the like. So in essence, it means that part of the privacy provided by the VPN is violated. And a hacker may also be able to inject data after they're able to determine parameters like sequence numbers and IP addresses the victim is connected to. There are a few configuration options that can be used uh, to avoid this behavior. They're not typically enabled by default. For example, turning on reverse path filtering or bogon filtering may be an option here. This vulnerability has been demonstrated using OpenVPN and WireGuard. Of course, it's possible that other VPN implementations are affected as well. I really see this more a little bit as an operating system issue than an issue with a particular VPN implementation. Well, it's Friday again, and uh, today I have Alexander with me to talk about his SDI research. Alexander, can you introduce yourself a little bit? Sure. My name is Alexander Fry. I am a principal consultant at Strong Crypto Innovations, which is a SAM-registered small business um, providing cybersecurity services in the Washington, uh, D.C. metropolitan area. And uh, you're almost done with uh, your program. I think one research paper left, so uh, that's pretty good. The research paper we'll talk about today was about RASP. Can you explain that term a little bit before we dive into the paper? RASP stands for Runtime Application Self-Protection. So you can think of it as a security technology that is either integrated into or is very close to an application, typically a web application, an API that it is uh, is trying to protect from attack. So it detects and prevents in real time. By being integrated that closely, I guess it has a lot more direct access to what's happening in the web application. Uh, so what was your paper about? My paper was about really taking a, a RASP product for a test drive and determining how effective it was in uh, detecting and preventing real-time attacks. And so what I did is um, I tested it against two open source applications, WebGoat and NodeGoat, to test both Java and a Node.js server-side JavaScript-based application. Did you find any big differences in how it was protecting uh, those two different technologies? Yes, there are a number of reasons for the differences, but I, I think Java in general is the RASP vendors and the tools, the tooling that's available for, for Java applications is more mature in general. And so the, I expected that the results were going to be better in terms of the effectiveness of the pr protection and also performance for Java. And that's, that's the way things turned out. So now no, other alternatives would be things like web application firewalls and such. Uh, any feel for how RASP compares uh, to those more, I would call them more traditional uh, security technologies? RASP is, is, is seen and, and considered the next generation 
or the evolution from a web application firewall, which is a perimeter device, to something that is actually closer to the application. What I see happening and, and where I see things going is that WAF and and RASP will work in conjunction with each other. So WAF will still be a perimeter device, will be part of the defense in-depth program. So an attack would come in, the WAF would detect the attack and would put it on the SOX radar, so to speak. And then the attack would be seen by the RASP technology that's integrated in the application, and it could provide greater context. And that context from the WAF and the context from RASP would both be fed to the to the SOC through the seam. The SOC would have this full context from when the attack was first seen uh, to when it entered the application and its actual impact in the application. So Raspberry provides a more insight into the inner workings and the hooks and APIs sort of in the the actual application itself, while WAF really sees more the request and the response going forth and back without sort of having that insight. Is this a correct description of the differences between those two technologies? Yes, absolutely. And, you know, WAF is is typically based on, on signatures. And so it can detect basic attacks that RASP also blocks, such as a basic cross-state scripting attack or a basic SQL injection attack. But where RASP really shines is in being inside the application. So it's after the application, you know, has already decoded the request and it's already, you know, and it sees it when it when it's first accepted as input and it flows through the application. So it sees that data flow and it sees the control flow and it sees the execution. So it it's able to make decisions on that data after it's already entered you know, it's already crossed the trust boundary, so to speak, whereas the WAF is outside of that trust boundary. So it can be, it possibly can be evaded by, say, double encoding attacks or, or other types of evasion, whereas the WAF is after uh, canonicalization. So it's after the application has already decoded the input to its simplest, most basic form and accepted it into its trust domain. And so the WAF is actually making a determination within that trust boundary. So that's really interesting. Now, you mentioned logging earlier. Now, one way I see sometimes people dis- deploying WAFs is that they're just using it for logging. Now, uh, can you walk us through like a sample attack maybe and what kind of logs you would get uh, out of RASP? Great question concerning logging. Uh, what does RASP give you in terms of security visibility. So that that's one of the problems that it actually solves. So unlike a WAF that, you know, like I said, it's a perimeter device, so the request passes through, and then there's some type of impact in the application that the WASP is not uh, privy to. And so it's not, it doesn't see into the application and there's no communication back from the application. So it really has no idea what that impact is. Whereas a WAF is in that application and so has full visibility into what that, you know, what a possible impact is. In addition to that, what gets logged, you know, besides the fact that an attack is taking place, uh, the WAF can provide information such as the type of attack, details about the payload, where the attack's coming from, so greater telemetry, if the attack's been seen previously, so correlating that across your, you know, your, um, all the data that you've gathered on previous attacks, and then the exact area of the application targeted, 
down to the to the source line of uh, of code, and how effective the RAS solution was in blocking that attack. So when when I say full context, it really is end to end from from source to sync. Okay, thanks uh, for walking us uh, through this. Uh, now, since you're sort of towards the end uh, of uh, the SDI program, I think you have uh, one more paper left. Uh, any expansion on the RASP ideas or any ideas what you'll be working on next? I may go ahead and expand on um, on RASP. There, one of the one of the um, areas of further research would be how it could work in conjunction with technologies like WAF. You know where. WAF is really good at providing, you know, denial of service protection. Um, and like I was saying before, really putting the attack on the radar. Um, you, know, you know, RASP provides that greater context. Um, and what we're seeing out in the industry, and, and actually recently there, there was a partnership announced by a, by a major vendor where they're also integrating anti-automation technology. So I see WAF, RASP, and anti-automation technology, which is, which is also sensor-based, um, that actually determines uh, the be you know essentially bad behavior of, of a of a possible you know bad actor. I think all of those technologies working together is really interesting, and so that's a definitely an area for the research. If I don't pursue that, I would I would look at applying. Uh, I would look at other problem sets out there. One of them I see is applying machine learning to to vulnerability analysis. So that that's something that really interests me. Do, I don't know if machine learning is really the best way to approach the the problem that we have with uh, just an, an overwhelming uh, overwhelmingly large number of, of vulnerabilities that have to be triaged. But um, that's something I see as a problem in the industry, and is definitely uh, worthy of further research. So thanks for joining me here, Alexander, and good luck uh, with your remaining uh, research paper. That's it uh, for today. Thanks to everybody listening and talk to you again on Monday. Bye.